morning, turn with us to Psalms, Psalms 9 and 17. Psalms 9 and 17 this morning. We'll look in the Bible for just a few moments and at a handful of verses and just try to give you what God laid on the heart. I appreciate the, uh, the Sunday school hour this morning. We'll mention it again here in just a few moments, talking about praying and about some things that we need to get back to. Psalms chapter 9, verse 17, we all know that it's Independence Day, and we'll talk just a little bit about it. We won't go into a lot of history of it. We'll just make mention of what it is. And because of this Independence Day, a lot of you got tomorrow off and the next day, and uh, go have a good time around some uh, eating probably and some fireworks and some other things. And, boy, I sure appreciate this time of year also. I love going through and seeing the American flags hanging. I was up at a place, I was working up in uh, Pilot Mountain on Friday, I believe it was, and we was going through, they was hanging the flags on the, uh, the power poles going down Main Street. And I want to tell you what, it's still something that flag represents. And it does represent freedom, it does represent uh, freedom and liberty, and, and boy, I, I thank God of what we have here in this country. And if you don't appreciate your country, something's wrong. You don't appreciate the sacrifice that men and women's made, and the sacrifice of our forefathers and all that's been done so we can enjoy the things that we enjoy. And you say, well, preacher, we're not free. Well, I understand we're not completely free and we've got some things we've got to follow that sometimes I don't even agree with. But regardless, we're a lot better off than a lot of other countries are, amen? Uh, so Independence Day is a great day, it's no doubt about it. But as we look here in the Psalms, Psalms 9 and verse 17, we'll read one verse of Scripture and then we'll look at a handful more here in just a few moments. But the Bible says in Psalms 9 and 17, it says the wicked shall be turned uh, into hell. And that's not a real, uh, ele- uh, real nice sounding verse of scripture, but it is a truthful scripture this morning. All those that reject the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior one of these days or uh, when they go on to, uh, out of this world, they are going to be turned into a place that's uh, called hell and uh, that hell will be there until those bodies uh, come out and God resurrects all that and we'll see that they'll stand before the great white throne judgment for to be judged for their sins that they've committed and then the Bible says they'll be cast into the lake of fire. So hell is just a temporary holding place. If you think about it on the mindset of a uh, government system that we have today when somebody gets in trouble right now they go to jail depending on the judgment that they have coming. As the same way hell is, it's like a jailhouse and then you get your sentence and then you go to the prison house. And I want to tell you what, it's no getting out. You take what you get, uh, uh, you make a decision while you have breath in your body and a heartbeat in your chest. And so that's what the Bible's talking about here. The wicked shall be turned into hell. I was lost and undone without Christ a little over 11 years ago and I thank God for His mercy and for His grace that I did not go out of this world unprepared to meet God. And that's just the mercy and grace that He shows us and bestows upon us and we can be thankful for that. But I'm interested in the last part of verse 17 where it says, And all the nations that forget God. Well, if you go back and you say, Well, what about all those nations? Well, let's read the entirety of it. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Friend, as we begin to look at this Independence Day for just a few moments, we're going to talk about not forgetting the things of God. Not forgetting the things of God, or if you want to title it something like this, let's not forget God. We're living in a day and hour to where everybody wants to forget God. They want to put God out of the equation. They don't want to hear anything about Him. And it's even got so bad that one atheist is trying to sue the government to get in God we trust taking off our money. 
I want to tell you what, we're in a bad situation in this great nation that we live in. But before we get there, let's just mention real briefly just a little bit of the history about our nation and the 4th of July. And the 4th of July, we know it as Independence Day. It's a federal holiday. And boy, I enjoy getting a little bit of time off, amen. I thought I was going to get tomorrow off and also Tuesday, but Brother Venable messaged a little while ago and said they're going to work tomorrow, so I guess I'll have to labor a little bit down at the building in Sandy Ridge. But regardless, I enjoy Independence Day. It's a federal holiday, and they put it in place in 1941. As we look at the history of it, it came along about the 18th century. On July the 2nd of 1776, the Continental Congress voted in favor of independence. And two days later, they, the delegates from 13 colonies adopted the Declaration of Independence. And friend, when you look at that Declaration of Independence, I looked at it this morning as we got ready to come down to the house of the Lord, and it's no less than five times that they make reference to God Almighty, and the God of nature, and the God of creation. And can I tell you, it's no such thing as Mother Nature, amen? We got a God the Father that has created all these things, and the Bible tells us that nature plainly declares the hand of God. And boy, I'm telling you, our forefathers, they believed in a God. Our historical documents has got God all over it, and I thank the Lord that our forefathers believe in a great creator, a lot higher than they are and if you read the last paragraph it's talking about a judge and it's not talking about an earthly judge but it's talking about a heavenly judge that each and every one of us is going to hold account to one of these days. That's what I love about our forefathers. They had reverence for the things of God and realized that one day they was going to stand before Almighty God. You and I need to realize the same thing. We understand that God is a God of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But God commanded his love towards us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We understand that God is a God of love. But we also understand because of that loving God, he loves righteousness and he loves holiness and he has got to bring judgment. And our forefathers realized that. I thank God that the foundation of our nation has the fingerprints of God all over it. As we begin to think about this for just a few moments, let us not forget God. Let us not forget God. Can I say as a whole, our country has forgotten where it came from. Our country has forgotten the things of God. You know, people in our country, they want, as I've already said, they want God out of everything. And I want to tell you right now, if you push God out, I grant you one thing, the devil's going to move in. And he's going to move in hard, and he's going to move in fast. And I tell you, our country is filled with the works of the devil and the works of the prince and power of this iron. And our country as a whole has turned their back on the things of God. And can I tell you, God allows people to get what they want. They, he does. He allows people to get what they want. And friend, I'm telling you, this nation's going to get what it wants one of these days, and it's not going to be what they thought it was. It's not going to be all it's cracked up to be. You know, I was thinking about it for a little while this morning, thinking about our country, and I know we got some good Christian people in our country in authority and in leadership, but the majority speaking is what I'm talking about. It's a shame when they take the Ten Commandments down off the wall. It is a shame when they take the law of God down off the wall and when those laws talk about the God of creation and talking about his, his place that he ought to have in our life and they shall have no other gods before him. That's the very first one. And then the last several of God's law tells us how we ought to treat mankind. And friend, I want to tell you, people today don't know how to treat mankind. 
They don't, and, but they want to take all those things down. They want to take it off the courthouse wall. Can I tell you, the courthouse cannot rule without God's law. It's no other way to look at it. But they want to take the Ten, ten Commandments down. They want to take prayer and already have out of the school system if we allow them. You say, well, they've already taken prayer out of the school. Well, friend, I want to tell you what, if you know the Lord, you can pray in the schoolhouse. You certainly can. You have all legal right and you have all liberty to pray in the schoolhouse. You say, what are you talking about? You pray for that test before you take. You can pray in the hallway. You can pray at lunchtime. You can go under that flagpole. As long as that American flag is flying on government property, we can get under that flag and we can pray and ask God's blessing and ask God's help and ask God's conversion, ask for God's power. You can still pray in the schoolhouse. I was in a school one time getting ready to teach and they had a moment of silence. I know what they're trying to get by with that. They're trying to let people pray that want to pray and they come on intercom and they had a moment of silence. So when they do, I'm standing in the front of class. I bowed my head and began to pray to the Lord and ask God to help me that day. And I heard some of the youngins talking. Then I heard one of them say, shh. And they're like, what? Said he's a praying. Amen. Thank God for it. Amen. I'm telling you, where God sees fit and where God's people is trying to follow him, there is a, where there's a will, there is still a way. When you take God out, the devil moves in. I don't know if you've seen the school system lately, but it's a mess as a, a majority speaking because we allowed somebody to take God out of the equation. You know what happens? We need to put God back in there. It's our job, it's our responsibility to make sure God is filling our schoolhouses, but not only our schoolhouses, but our government houses. They've taken prayer out of schoolhouse, so to speak, but we can take it back in there. Well, what about our government meetings? They want to take God out of government meetings. And you know, we stand for that. We went to the commissioner's meeting over a while back whenever they was fussing about praying uh, over there. And I told one of them that she prayed actually to open the meeting up and she didn't say in Jesus' name. And when I got up to speak, I said, ma'am, I said, everybody's got a legal right to pray the way they want to pray. And I have not come over here not every time to beat you up over not using Jesus' name because I believe if you pray and you don't ask in Jesus' name, there's no need even saying a prayer, amen. Now that's what I believe and they want to try to take it out of the government meetings and all these other places but I thank God we still got some people in place that will pray. I know one time we was asked to pray at a government meeting I said, I'm going to come pray but you're not going to tell me how to pray. And they said, come on. And that was five, six years ago and I haven't been able to go back again since, amen. But we do take part in another government meeting. I thank God for it. And they have us to open up in prayer and they have never, ever said anything out of the way about praying in the name of the only name that's given among men whereby you must be saved and that's in the name of Jesus. Friend, we got a nation that a lot of people's turning their back on God. They're trying to take your Ten Commandments down. They're doing a pretty good job at it. And friend, they took prayer out of the school. And if we don't put it back in there as on a personal level, it's not going to have any prayer. They're trying to take prayer out of the government meetings. And they're doing a pretty good job about that too. But friend, I want to tell you, regardless of what this old wicked world gets accomplished, they cannot take the fingerprints of God off the foundation of our nation. There's no way they can. It's in all the historical documents that our forefathers printed and pinned down. If you go take the fingerprints of God off our nation, all those old monuments in Washington, you'll have to go up there and tear them down or do some kind of uh, re-chiseling uh, uh, re or however they got those, uh, uh, those words and those monuments up there because the fingerprint of God is on our nation and it always has been and we don't need to forget where our country come from. 
Our country was founded on the principles of God and I sure thank the Lord for it. But what this heathen crowd don't realize that they're riding on the blessings of God for the sacrifice that our forefathers made. They're enjoying the benefits of the blessing of God right now. But they don't realize it. You know why our nation's been blessed so much? It's because we started out with the things of God. But you know, just because you start well doesn't always mean you're going to finish well. And I'm a firm believer the reason that we're in the mess we're in right now. As Mr. Cruz's daddy said when we was in a meeting with him, he said, it's all you guys' fault. And it was probably a few hundred preachers in there, wasn't it, honey? Several hundred preachers. And he says, because you don't preach from the pulpit. But friend, I want to tell you right now, I want to do my part to make sure I don't forget God. But when I do my part and we preach what thus saith the Lord, that's as far as I can go. Then it falls on you. And that's as far as I can take it. And we've got to make a decision how far we're going to take it. Our country as a whole has forgotten where they've come from. This crowd today wants to push God out of everything. And I'm going to tell you what, if they get that accomplished, they're going to see what happens when you push God out. Friend, this nation needs God. I need God. We all need God. But don't forget where you got, where you come from. A lot of people think it's Independence Day is the time to go down by the Bud Dumber and everything else, give them a 20-pack of chicken and cook out and watch your fireworks. No, that's not what this thing's about. It's about reflecting back on how good God's been and how good our forefathers were to stand for the things of God and to thank, thank God for the liberty that we have in this great nation that we live in. So friend, let's not forget God, but the country has forgotten God. They've forgotten where they come from. But may I also say, talking about forgetting things, churches have forgotten their purpose. Churches as a whole have forgotten their purpose. We read these verses of scripture this morning. If you don't mind, turn with me to Mark chapter 11 and verse 15. Churches have forgotten their purpose. His church door has been opened all over this world today. Kicked open in the name of Jesus. Kicked open in the name of Christianity. Kicked open in the name of God. Kicked open and say, hey, this is what we're doing. But I'm afraid a lot of churches have forgotten their purpose. Well, I was pondering on some of these things last night when I laid down and got up this morning. And would the Lord let us over here to these verses of Scripture in Mark chapter 11 verse 15. The Bible says, And they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple, and began to cast out them that sold and brought in the temple, and overthrew the tables and the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. I'd say the Lord was a little upset with the condition he found the temple in. And then he goes on to say, said I, And would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And then the scribes and the priests sought how they may destroy him. As we look at that verse of Scripture, if we think about it in our day and time, in our day and hour, when we look at this, you've got a wicked, ungodly crowd sitting outside of the church doors trying to make money off of church people, and the church people's falling right into it. Say, hey, I'll go in the church door I'll give him a few dollars for that sacrifice. I'll come down here for five minutes and I'm going to leave and go back to my daily task and that's all they give God out of their life is about five minutes and pay somebody else to get it done, amen. Friend, I'm telling you, that's the condition a lot of our churches are in. Can I tell you where a lot of churches are at today? They've took the things of God and tried to make a money-making business out of them. And I want to tell you, God's not in the money-making business. He's in the disciple-making business. I know and understand 
understand that it takes money to make things function, but when we get more focused on money than we do the things of God, we might as well shut the doors down, amen? And friend, I don't want to be a hoarder of money. I want to invest in God's work, but what's going on here? These people come down, and they say, hey, here comes these religious crowd in. I'm going to sell them exactly what they need, and friend, they would give it to them, and then this other, uh, this supposed to be church crowd, friend, they was just giving just a little money and just giving a little time. I want to tell you right now, that's where we're at in the day and hour we live in. Well, I'm going to go down to the house of God. I'm going to bless the Lord by showing up today. No, you bless yourself by coming to the house of the Lord. Amen. When we look at these verses of Scripture, God is supposed, God's house is supposed to be a place of worship. Amen. They weren't making it a place of worship. The Bible says they had made it a den of thieves. You know what a lot of churches are today? It's a den of thieves. They'll rob you of everything you've got. You got to watch these seed planters. You send me a little something in, plant a seed, and God will bless you. You got to watch that. The Bible does say God does love a cheerful giver, and that's talking about giving to the Lord and investing in God's work. But you got to watch these seed planters. Hey, you call, hey, you send me a little money down here, I'll send you an anointing handkerchief. But I ain't never seen nothing in the Bible about sending no money for no anointing handkerchief. That right there has got a little bit of honey on it. I'm talking about that slop out of the corners of our mouth. And if you want it, I won't charge you a dime for it, praise God. Amen. I'll give it to you if you want it. But I, I'm telling you, that's where we're at in the day and hour we live in. You got these mega churches, and boy, they're pushing and trying to get all this money in, and they're heaping up for the Antichrist to come in and fatten up his bank account along the way. Amen. I tell you what, we ought to invest in God's work because it is a worthy work to be invested in. But this day and hour we live in is just so much like what Christ got mad at. I believe if Christ walked in a lot of churches, he'd kick a lot of things over. And he'd be mad at a lot of folks just coming in and say, hey, all I want today is about 30 minutes of Christianity and then go out and just live like the devil the rest of the week. That's what's going on here in these verses of Scripture. Churches have forgotten the purpose of what church is supposed to be about. To start off with, it's supposed to be a place of worship and we're to come down in spirit and truth and be ready to worship the God of heaven, the God of creation, and the God of my salvation. Buddy, I'm telling you, the house of the Lord is supposed to be a place of worship. And I know we come in and sometimes we're down and out and we're discouraged, but the songs ought to help us and uh, exhort us and encourage us and lift us up along the way. Hey, the message from the Lord ought to encourage us and lift us up along the way. But not only has the Lord's house been forgotten about a place to worship, friend, I, I want to tell you, a lot of worship going on in a church house today is foreign to the things of God. Amen. Let me throw that in there while I'm here, Amen. You go watch some of these videos of some of the churches that's pretty close by, and a lot of that worship is foreign to the things of God. What I mean by that, you've never seen it in the Bible nowhere. Never seen it in the Bible nowhere. But also, the purpose of the house of God is a place of worship. And friend, prayer is worship. You say, prayer ain't worship. That's me asking the Lord for things. Oh, no. The Bible says when you come to the Lord in prayer, you ought to be thanking Him. That's part of worship is thanking the Lord for how good he's been. Well, I've had a hard week. Well, praise God, who hadn't, amen? You better thank God that he got you through that week. Amen, right there now. Because sometimes the bad days will make us appreciate the good days. And we've got something to worship him about. We've got something to be thankful for. If you look around and count the blessings of God and quit looking at all the discouragement and all the disappointments in life, I grant you one thing, the blessings of God will way, way outweigh the problems of life. 
But see, we tend to look on all the bad stuff. We've forgotten the purpose of the house of God is to worship. And it says here that his house is to be known by all nations as a house of prayer. I wonder what somebody would say about a church is if you were to ask them, well, what's a church known for? Well, they're known for uh, trying to get all your money. Well, they're known for going up there thinking they're better than somebody else. Well, they think this, they think that. No, our church has, should be known by all nations as a house of prayer. What does that mean? That means when we're in touch with God, they can notice God are doing things and are working things out, and that gets the old sinner's curiosity up and say, man, they might really be serving something that's real down there. Hey, let's see what they got to say about it. Let's go hear that old preacher preach. Hey, let's let that neighbor stop by my house again and tell me about that Jesus he's been bragging about. It's something great happening down there. And then they'll come to know our church as a house of prayer. I'm afraid most communities don't even know their church as a house of prayer. Amen. I'm afraid to say that a lot of people don't know nothing about the church next door because the church next door ain't doing nothing. Let's stop right there for just a minute. The house of God, we have forgotten the purpose of the house of God to start off with. It's a place of worship and it's a place of work. You say, I don't like that. Well, you don't like the way God structured things then. These church doors are open on Sundays and Wednesdays and we think people are supposed to just come in. That's what we think. Open the door and boy, we get upset if nobody comes. Well, how many did you compel to come into the house of the Lord? Let's go a little further than that. Don't just invite them to church. Try to tell them about Christ as the Lord gives opportunity because what happens a lot of times if you just invite them to church, they think salvation's in the church and salvation is not in the church. It's in Christ. And Christ alone. So, you know, we, we get upset and people don't come to the house of the Lord and, and friend, and uh, we think it because we open the church doors that uh, people ought to come flooding in. And Christ never, He never did tell them, tell the sinner and command them to go to the house of the Lord, but He commanded the church to go to the sinner. Friend, a house of God's a place of worship and it's also a place of work. I'm afraid that. A lot of churches have become into a money-making business and a place of entertainment. I'll be honest with you, I didn't come to entertain. I really didn't. I come to want to try to help somebody. And this helped me just studying this myself. And when the church house gets to a place to where it's just entertainment, uh, friend, uh, we have lost the whole purpose of what the church is. Can I tell you, and we're always looking for some kind of programming gimmick. Can I tell you the first church, if you look over to the first church in the book of Acts, all they'd done, they had preaching, prayer time, and fellowship. They didn't have no choir. They didn't have no youth program. They didn't have no Sunday school class. Didn't have none of these things. They just got in there and served God, amen. But it seemed like nowadays when somebody comes uh, uh, to the church house, it's sort of like going grocery shopping. We was talking about this the other day. Or, or going down to a restaurant. Well, I'm going to go down there and try it out just a little bit to see what they got and what they don't got. And if they got enough on the buffet, I might hang out for just a little while. Friend, who knows? God may be wanting you to be somewhere so you can build something in that church instead of you just going freeload off somebody else. I'm just preaching heart to you, amen, because I know how it is. When you're scared of the church because of worship and because of work and you don't want to get in on part of that, you just ride a coattail of what somebody else is doing. And the last time I read Proverbs, the Lord doesn't like slothful people. That's Bible, amen. 
But we have forgotten the purpose of the church. We've turned it into a money-making business. We've turned it into a place of entertainment. We forgot that this is supposed to be a place of worship, and it's also supposed to be a place of work. Not to be saved, but because you are saved. Because we're His workmanship created under Christ Jesus unto good works. Matthew 28, you don't have to turn there, I'm already there, but we was talking about the purpose of the church. The last thing the Lord said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, says, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach uh, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. You know what the church's purpose is? To be a place of worship and to be a place of work. God never told the church to feed all the hungry. God never told the church to house all the homeless. He never told the church that. He told them to go to them with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I know some of those other things fall into place to where you can be a help and blessing in those areas, but I'm going to tell you right now what's the cause of some of that. Sinful living. And if you continue to supply and supply and supply for sinful living, when in the world are they going to be able to look up to see their need for the God of heaven and the Lord Jesus Christ in their heart and life. That's the purpose of the church. My purpose and your purpose is to give the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what a purpose is. But then may also say, Christians often forget where they come from. Or oh, it's a sad time when we forget where we come from. I'm afraid after you get saved and you've been there, been saved for a little while, you start looking down on sinners. And as Christians, we often forget where we come from. We forget what God's done for us. And you know, I all the time hear people say, well, you don't need to think about the past. You don't need to dwell in the past because the devil will bring your past up and he'll get a hold of you with the past. He'll hold on to you with that if you allow him. But can I tell you something the Apostle Paul would do? The Apostle Paul, oftentimes in his writings, he would remind you of his past. When the Apostle Paul gave his testimony, he would often give the testimony of his past before he ever met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. It's nothing wrong with thinking about your past and remembering where God brought you from. And the Apostle Paul was very good at this, of reminding people who they were before they knew Christ. Can I tell you who I was before I met Christ? I was lost and undone without Jesus Christ. I done quit the drinking, done quit all the other stuff I was doing. I was just a family man trying to look after my family, working 60 and 70 hours a week, and just trying to do the best that I could. But friend, I was just as lost as I was when I was a drunkard, amen. And friend, I needed Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul, when he would write his writings like the church of Ephesus, he reminded them of who they used to be. In Ephesians chapter 2, and he says, And you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. He said, Hey, you used to be under the influence of the devil. And I was, amen. Many years I've had people tell me they've seen demons in my eyes. I don't know if they did or not. Don't know if I had one or not. But friend, I was wicked as a devil when I was lost and undone without Christ. And I'm thankful for what he's brought me from. And the Bible goes on to say, Among whom also we all had our conversations in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desire of the flesh and of the mind. 
and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, have quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved, and have raised us up together and made us set together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. If you're here and saved by God's amazing grace, don't get the big head because you're saved by God's amazing grace. Realize where you come from. You was by nature a child of wrath. You was by nature under the influence of the power of the air, which is Satan. Friend, I want you to be thankful what God's brought you from if you're saved by God's amazing grace. And the Bible said here, hey, that's who you was. He said, but God showed up and His mercy was rich and He saved you by grace and now you're seated in the heavenlies, amen. Christ don't want us as a Christian to live on this lower level. He said you're seated in the heavenlies. You can enjoy the glories of heaven right now without even being there. You say, no, you can't preach. Oh, yeah, you can if you decide to. That's what the book of Ephesians was written about, that, hey, we've got something more than just being saved in this Christian life. We've got something we can be excited about. We've got the Holy Spirit on the inside. We're promised the power of God if we will just depend on Him. Friend, we're not what we used to be. Boy, I'm telling you what, I sure am glad that I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what I ought to be all the time neither, but I sure am glad I'm not what I used to be. So don't forget where you came from. I'm afraid a lot of Christians forget where they come from. Been saved a long time when you stop to be thankful. You know what? We cease to be thankful when we take things for granted. Think about that just for a minute. You take your health for granted sometimes. You don't thank God for it. And next thing you know, your health, your body's touched. And you realize how good you had it before all that happened. I mean, really, it's sort of like this week. I blowed my back out Monday. God healed my back by the anointing of oil and praying over about 11 years ago. And I hadn't had a hardly any trouble with it whatsoever, but I blowed my back out Monday. And God showed me. And I told you a while back I knew what starting this little project over there. I told you a while back I knew that my body would be touched physically. And that's just added on top of some things. But I stopped to think that, hey, I had lost being thankful for what God has done for me. I'm 38 years old and have never had any type of surgery. I have never been knocked out by a doctor. I've been knocked out some other ways, amen. But I have never been knocked out by a doctor. And I thank God for it. Some people can't say that. Some little babies are operated on in the womb before they ever even come out of the womb now. It's amazing what doctors can do. But I thank God for the help that He has given me along the way. And see, a lot of times we take things for granted. It's sort of like your wife and your husband and your children and all the, some of these other things. We take that for granted and we're not thankful for them in the way we ought to be until something happens. And what about church? You're, hey, you may not be thankful for church. And, but buddy, what has something happened here and we couldn't meet together? It would change some of our minds about being thankful for the church house. Can I tell you the greatest thing this nation has and the greatest uh, hope this nation has is Bible preaching churches and uh, uh, Christ loving Christians. Amen. That's the greatest thing we have. Friend, we take things for granted along the way. After we get saved, sometimes we take Jesus for granted. We forget where we come from. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 through 5 says unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, that angel would be 
the pastor. Angel is one that carries a message. And I know you probably don't consider your pastor an angel, but amen. This is where you laugh. It's okay to laugh in church too, amen. But I am an angel. I'm a messenger. I don't have wings and I don't have a halo, praise God, amen. But anyway, let's go on. This angel of the church of Ephesus wrote to this church of Ephesus and said, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And those golden candlesticks are the churches. They're local churches. He says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst bear them which are evil and thou hast tried them which say they're apostles and are not and hast found them liars and hast borne and hast patience and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Sound like a good church that anybody want to be part of, amen? They're doctrinally sound and working and working and working and boy, they can't stand sin. Sound like a good church. Sound like a good church to be part of. Sound like a church that any, uh, any man ought to be proud to pastor. But in verse 4, he says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. You know, sometimes we can stay faithful in the work of the Lord and still not be where we need to be. And when you pastor, you know more about that than probably any other person in the church. Because even when I don't feel like it, and even when I'm not at the place I need to be with the Lord, you say, Preacher, you ought to always be with the Lord. Well, you too. Amen. Amen. Amen Sometimes have to come in, and boy, I, I want to stick to sound doctrine. I want to labor for the Lord, and I want to stand against sin. But I have done that many times without my love being right for the Lord. And I want to tell you what, when you don't have compassion, you're not going to make the right difference. The Bible says having compassion making a difference. He says, you've left your first love. Friend, I wanted to ask you something. Have you left your love for the Lord? So, well, I really ain't never had a love for Him. Then you ain't really never had a work of grace in your life then. Do you love Him? Do you wake up in the morning with Him on your mind? Do you talk to Him throughout the day? Do you lay down with Him on your mind? You say, you can't do that, preacher. Oh, yes, you can. Well, I still got this flesh. Oh, I know you do. I do too, but the psalmist said, even my flesh doeth magnify the Lord. So you can get to a place to where even your flesh can be in subjection to the things of God. You know the reason we don't live for the Lord is because we don't want to. That's the only reason we don't live for the Lord is because we don't want to. Do you love Him the way you ought to love Him? Any relationship needs work. It needs work. I don't know any relationship that don't. My wife's and I, relationship needs work sometimes, sometimes more than others. Right now, I think we're running pretty well, amen. My, my, my relationship with my children needs work. You go through a space of time, you don't see your children that much. And I, a parent, I think they desire to talk to their kids. And you want to know what they've been going through and what's been going on and uh, how things have been going. And you have to work on that relationship some. It's the same way with the Lord. Any relationship that's worth having is worth working on. So all I ask you, let's not forget God. If your relationship with Him needs working on this morning, why don't you work on it? If your relationship with the church needs working on, and I'm talking about your worship and your work, why don't we work on that? Why don't we just go ahead and say, hey, I'm just going to sell out whatever the Lord wants. That's the direction I'm going. And we've got a lot to be thankful for, amen. You say, preacher, I don't have a relationship with the Lord. Well, what's holding you back?
So everybody stands all over the church. Yes, Miss Jane, if you don't mind, come get a little something on the piano. Let's not forget God.